Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. My provocation is commit to noticing the world anew and set yourself your own little challenge every day to do something that causes you to notice something that you would not normally spend time noticing. And if you want to go further, not only notice, but do something that is connected to that. And I promise you, new things will come to the mm. surface. <laughs> There's ways that you can actually play with it as a game which where you can put things together and you can get a pink card and another card, like a green card, and randomly put them together and then force these two together and see what I can yeah. come up with. Later on, you don't even need it because you'll be able to come up with things. I work with people in film and art and theatre who you would say are really accomplished creatives in the, in the conventional term and they will still go back to these things so it's not like we, we don't need them we often need our imaginations jogged so the more you practice it the more you'll get there welcome back i hope you've had an awesome week so far i'm really excited today to have on the anova buzz podcast as my guest Dr. Barbara Doran, who specialises in identifying creative opportunities that respond to complex challenges and putting them into action. She teaches a multi-award winning Bachelor of Creative Intelligence course at the University of Technology in Sydney. This post comes after having worked as a senior lecturer for Australia's leading performing arts conservatory, the National Institute of Dramatic Arts, with prior positions at the University of New South Wales and Western Sydney University. Are you curious for a behind-the-scenes look at the Innova Buzz podcast? Get your hands on one of our limited edition digital tokens at innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel and become part of the Flywheel Nation community. With direct access to our amazing podcast guests, just like Barbara, and to me, plus a special audio program that walks you through the InnovaBuzz podcasting process, you'll have everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Now, getting quick, there's a limited number of tokens available. In our conversation today, Barbara talked to me about why creativity and art are not necessarily the same thing. We talked about how creativity actually is an intrinsic trait of being alive. And we talked about how to awaken the creative spark inside 
and tap into our creativity by using all our senses. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Dr. Barbara Doran. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Sydney. So uh, a relatively geographically close by guest this time uh, from Sydney in Australia, Dr. Barbara Doran, who is a creativity consultant. She works across a whole lot of different disciplines, both as a scholar and a practitioner, weaving together things like health, the arts, creativity, education, film. We were just talking about her, her work on film and, and that she's just done a little uh, video recording. And applying all those things to sometimes quite complex global challenges. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today, Barbara. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> now, big shout out to Paulina LaRocca, who was our guest on episode 499 of the Innova Buzz podcast, and she introduced us and suggested that we have a conversation. Yeah, I love working with Paulina, and we um, share a lot of our kind of creative spark together. Um, and she's actually doing a PhD with me at the moment. All right. I didn't know that. Yeah. There we go. I've yeah, we're already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and she, yeah, she's actually really sort of um, probing really deeply into the creative space um, and some of the deep assumptions we have uh, around creativity and innovation. So it's, it's, a, it's a space that I find immensely interesting and I think it um, will help us all step into that space um, in, a, in a way that empowers us all. Excellent. All right. Well, um... I'm really looking forward to talking about all things creative problem solving and how we apply the arts, play, all kinds of different aspects to that. Before we do that, though, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Barbara? Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, so, I, I mean, one of the spaces that I work at in is in education. Um, and I think education is, well, I, it, first of all, I think education is linked to lifelong learning in mm. any way. So, for me, one of the things that I see as impact is being able to spark others' imagination, to empower others to take what they are working with and um, to energise them so that they can kind of creatively take hold of the situation wherever they are, whatever they're working in, uh, and, and to keep working with these complex challenges that are in front of us. So for me, um, every time... I hear that someone has seen something new, that they've been energised to do something, I know that I'm having impact. Hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. And and we were chatting before we started recording about this idea of um, awakening that creative, or you, you mentioned it just then, awakening that creative spark in people, and yet uh, a lot of people say, um, for example, I've, I've said this in the past, because I can't draw, I can't even draw a stick figure to, to save my life, um, I'm not creative. And a lot of people will say that, um, and yet they're so creative in, in many different ways. So speak to us a little mm. bit about how do, you, how do you help people change that mindset of just because I'm not um, an artist of the quality of somebody like Da Vinci, therefore mm. I'm not creative. I think that that's a really good, good space to step into it because um, one of the thing the assumptions is that creativity and art are the same thing, mm. 
they definitely share a space and the practices that artists engage with are deeply rooted in creativity but then there are so many other ways that we are creative uh to cook to walk to move to make connection to to each other to be able to kind of think about something in place and um in set in in sound there's so many um practices that we are constantly navigating and in fact that what i really think that we wouldn't even be able to exist as humans mm. if we weren't creative it's it's actually linked to living and being able to survive not only survive but to imagine what's possible and to kind of get really kind of innovative from moment to moment so it, it's it's an intrinsic um trait of being alive um and and i guess i just kind of want to um pick up on what you were saying there too about how I constantly am amazed, even though I shouldn't be, how many people do carry this um, mantra that they're not creative. And I think one of the things is that, A, it's often linked to sort of being an excellent artist, which is um, partly something that um, we as a society need to challenge and we need to kind mm. of open up the space around how we collaborate together and how we creatively um, work together. But also I think we have some cultural assumptions to revisit. So often in primary school and in preschool, we're constantly engaging with creative mediums. We play creatively, we learn creatively. And then you get to high school and it kind of gets put into disciplines and you don't work creatively as much. And then somehow or other, creativity gets kind of aligned with artsy type subjects. And, and I'm not dismissing the arts because I'm an artist myself and I love the arts. But I think when I speak to people, it's like that's where they stopped thinking that they were creative because mm. they didn't take those art subjects. So sometimes we kind of need to go back there and maybe even be a bad drawer or be or be all those things that you're worried about in order to actually find the thing that you've left behind. And I, and I think that that's part of tapping into our creativity is just owning that space again and being prepared to kind of go back to where we left it off or where where we think we left it off because yeah. when we start to tap into that then we start to realize it's actually been alive the whole way in some way shape or form hmm. yeah i like the the idea of going back and revisiting those things and um, just having fun and like you touched on play they're having fun with some of those areas just for the sake of doing it and for the sake of i don't know um kind of inspiring us to to be creative i often like to reframe that when somebody kind of raises that in that way and i say well have you ever solved a problem in a way that was kind of unusual or resourceful and i like to use this word resourceful because i think mm -hmm. you touched on it earlier about we wouldn't be alive if we weren't creative and i think yeah we're mm -hmm. all resourceful we all find ourselves in situations where we need to do something to get out of a situation because it's unpleasant and it may be dangerous. Mm. Um, and mm. often we come up with really resourceful ways to address whatever problem that is. And, and that, that to me is creativity. How do you see that? So there's lots of different elements there, but um, one, of, one of the little kind of games that I play in, in when working in creativity and trying to spark that in others is 
thinking about what's in front of us and reimagining what's in front of us. So it's sort of like thinking inside the box and it's not a new tool. There's all these tools that are around that, that um, people who work in creativity and innovation use. But what I think is really interesting is when you ask people to kind of look at what's in front of them and then start turning them upside down and inside out yeah. and even thinking about what's right in front of them or, and what they're not seeing in front of them, that there's these incredible possibilities in all around us and and part of the creative spark is actually having permission to experiment having permission to have a bit of time and not taking things so seriously um, because what we do know about creativity is that it um it, it, it's it functions better when when we're relaxed and when we're in a playful playful sort of mind state so even if you're dealing with something quite serious um if we can tap into that in a playful spirit and when I say playful, I don't mean kind of like you, you know, sort of goofing around. Mm. It's 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 a it's um a, a state of mind that is curious, inquisitive, um, uh, experimental, open to kind of making little experiments, nudging the edges, and is kind of open ended in in its in its orientation, um, and not afraid to kind of make mistakes. And we need we need that, and we need that kind of breathing space to be able to see what's in front of us. But if we're kind of always scheduled, if we've got an agenda, if we're looking to kind of reach an end and we've already got an idea of what that goal is, we're going to miss all the stuff in between. So um, that playful space is so important. It's kind of like tapping into a very expansive mind space hmm. where you're sort of searching for possibility. Um, and I kind of just want to pick up on the play theme in the, in the, in that, in the resourcefulness because um, another, another kind of – adjacent sort of quality that's linked to creativity is play and um, one of the people I've read who is a kind of play um, specialist is is a guy called Stuart Brown um, and he talks about how as a culture and as a society we almost need to kind of go through a process of um, reframing how we think about play because play has been seen as something that is linked to childhood play has been seen to be something that you kind of do as, as something that's extra out outside of it and he his provocation is that we need as in the same way that smoking need to be needed to go through a whole kind of cultural reimagining um you know from being elegant and kind of groovy and all those sort of things that were you know and and totally okay mm. um to to where it is now he says we need to do that with play as a society because yeah. we've made it something that is sort of external to when it really is vital to our survival and creativity and play, I think, go together. And if we can bring those um, situations into wherever we are and however we work, um, we can start to sort of see what's in front of us um, and tap into those resources yeah. and you know, if you, I, I think sometimes the best teachers for that are kids because they're not inhibited about That's it. Right, yeah. And so, you know, they turn things upside down and they get on the ground. And, and then if you, if you jump forward, I, I remember learning this with, um, working with some animators years ago and, um, I was watching how they were developing characters and they all kind of went outside and they were, they were playing with gesture and posture and getting up and down. And then I started thinking, they're playing. They're playing with the, the elements of how to bring a story alive. And it was so um, encouraging for me at that time to realise that how animators, these very people who are accomplished in their profession, went back down into the play space to find the resources that they needed to develop, you know, something that ended up being quite sophisticated. Hmm. 
Yeah, there's there's lots of stuff there. The um, I was reminded there of a couple of things, particularly in in regard to that play. I mean, some of the training programs that I've gone through in in my corporate days, there were, um, I mean, there were role plays often, um, mm. but sometimes there were um, games, literal games that we played that were kind of metaphors for some situation in the corporate world and the learning uh, and the learning came out of the game but part of it was the the trigger to remember that then was going back to the game because it was a game you kind of remembered it because it wasn't kind of a role play that was very close to the real situation it was sort of a removed from the situation and a game and totally out of the ordinary but the lesson was for these types of situations often you know, challenging so, teamwork or something like that. And again, there's there's so much in, in that particular one. I, you know, I keep thinking about creativity and how does that lead to innovation um, and or, you know, doing things new, doing things together, harnessing the inspiration that's going to energise that to happen because um, it's very easy to come up with ideas. Well, I think it's easier to come up with ideas. It's harder to ground them and, and, and make them grow or turn them into something that we all share and do. Um, but the um, games are really interesting because they have boundaries and they have rules and, and it's, a, it's a place and a space where we rehearse things. Mm. So play is that kind of open-ended um, exploratory space, but then often we will turn play into a game so that we can start to kind of um, create these scenarios where the learning becomes embodied. So, and then when it, when the learnings become embodied, then it's easy to recall. So you talk about, you know, you just go into these scenarios and you start playing, you play the game and and the knowledge and the memories arise. And then you start playing, you can start kind of playing in another space with that. And, and, and you talked about metaphor as well. And I think um, metaphor is a really powerful place and space that is linked to um, to play and to games because Metaphor isn't just a kind of um, an analogy. Metaphor, I, I draw on the, on the understanding that metaphor is deeply physical. So when we're talking about metaphors, you know, if we're talking about something being heartfelt, it's not, it's not, it, it's a saying, but it comes from somewhere because we actually do think, feel things with our heart. Or if we, if we, and so we're, it's really interesting to kind of listen to the metaphors that we're using and kind of think about where they sit in the real world and in the physical world and how they may or may not be shaping us. And one of the games that we play is um, bringing metaphors to the surface, catching them and then kind of trying to combine them together so that you can, as a creative space, we're coming up with new ideas and then thinking about the qualities. So you might even have one that, you know, something like butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. So we've got to be sort of cold, you know, clinical sort of not a warm feeling and then what if they were they were um someone warm-hearted came along and they and they melted the butter in the mouth you know you can start playing with this mm. sort of um the metaphors and, and bringing them into action and then to me that is also that space of being resourceful so you know tapping into those things that we know tapping into our imaginations and then using them in a kind of playful game you know sort of mashing up with games to um bring things alive and and to change become change makers in that space as well yeah yeah it reminds me sometimes um i just have a thought and obviously unconsciously i'm processing something and then i'll have a thought which 
ends up being a metaphor for something and I don't immediately recognize the connection, but once I make the connection, I'm like, oh, that, that is absolutely magical. So you talked earlier about um, catalyzing creative intelligence, and I'm guessing that's kind of an example of something that for some reason got catalyzed. How, how can you consciously go about um, generating those sort of ideas particularly? Yeah, I think I think that's where um, having a little kind of toolkit um, of you know there's there's a lot of practices out there that um, people you know again I'm going to draw from the arts here but you know it doesn't really matter where hmm. where where you're drawing from but having a range of different practices and and actively engaging an attention to the world that asks you to kind of um, notice what's happening but in this kind of open expanded expansive space and and i think with creativity there's there's kind of two two problems to it one is that um we're all kind of wired up in different ways so when i say wired up you know i sort of think about you know some there's a there's a wonderful cartoon that i that i like to think of where you sort of got monkeys and fish and, and elephants all lined up in front of a teacher and they're all being asked to do the same thing and it's very kind of um uniform and and it's not drawing on the the rich diversity of what each can do and i think we're all like that we all have our own kind of um uh, orientations and aptitudes in how in in what rings you know and sings for us it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and do other things but um so when we're talking about creativity i think part of the process of creativity is finding those tools and practices that help to spark our particular kind of orientation in the world and to recognize how they work with others you know so you know I might I might like cooking and somebody else might like photography and maybe we want to take those you know one one person is going to capture that moment and that's a, that's a process of coming together but to go back to your question I think um, creativity needs practice and it's a it's a it's a, um, a practice of attending to the world so it's like a fitness. So if you want to kind of get fit at a you know any kind of physical thing, you can't just expect to just suddenly yeah. rock up and be really great at it. Or even like playing the piano, there's a practice that that's involved. Yeah. And I think there are lots of tools that can help us to attend to the world in a creative way. Um, and the more we um, dedicate ourselves to that in in just tiny little ways the more those connections happen and it becomes an intuitive thing. And um, I don't say intuition in a lighthearted way. I, I actually think that a lot of the way that creativity percolates is at an intuitive level. So it'll be like, oh, I might just go over here. And, and I think one of the sensibilities that creative people have is that they're more honed to go, I've got an instinct to go over there. I don't have a rational logic re reason for why I'm going to go over there, but I can hear that and I'm going to respond to it where someone who may be less tuned into that will go, I'll ignore that or it's not, doesn't seem to have a purpose. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. And it's not an arbitrary thing. It's, it's a felt thing. Mm. It's linked to a, a sensing and recognizing that when to kind of follow that instinct, I think is part of what happens when we build what i call creative fitness yeah yeah well that's that's a really interesting point i mean we're sometimes drawn to do something or to go somewhere for 
no apparent or rational reason, but if we pay attention to that and and even get just simply get curious, well, why why did that thought come up? Why am I suddenly drawn to that? Um, and that may shed some more light on it. Um, one of the things I'm fascinated by is this whole idea of um, understanding more about neuroscience, how how our kind of brains and and our mind, whatever that is, <laughs> um, another discussion, but how that plays into the stories we tell ourselves, how it plays into creativity and at that intuitive level. And I know you you have explored this quite a bit. So talk to us a little bit more about um, how do we understand some of this stuff at, at the neuroscientific level and, and how can um, people maybe like me that are more in the science than in the arts understand some of this stuff and explain it and, and maybe embrace it. Yeah, so um, one of the sort of realms that I'm really interested in, particularly which sort of is drawn from neuroscience, is A, what do we think the mind is to start off with? And I know that's another whole thing, yeah. but I can't, I actually can't separate it from the notion of creativity because I think one of the things that has, um, you know, dulled down um, our understanding of what creativity is and or in, quite possibly numbed out um, the kinds of resources that might enter the equation is how we think of the mind. So one of the things that I'm often talking about is that we think of the, often think of the mind as something yeah, that's kind of in the bone yeah. helmet up here, but it's actually distributed mm. throughout our whole body. And, you know, even if you to look at the representation in the brain of our hands. Um, it, our hands are the most um, anatomically represented in the brain and the most the most diversely um, represented. So they're linked to motion, to sensation, to touch, um, to memory, and even just the kind of density of um, receptors and and um, in our hands, if you've ever seen the picture of a homoculus, which is a, a diagram of um, how the body is represented in, in the regions of the brain, our hands are massive um, and our lips and our face is massive. So this is sort of to do with the kind of proportions of sensory information that is being relayed to other parts of it. So just thinking about our body as, as part of our mind changes how we kind of prioritize certain kinds of information so suddenly things like the senses um, touch temperature um, movement all of these things that i think um, in sort of times gone by have been hierarchically relegated in the sort of um, notions of intelligence have been kind of have been um, not necessarily brought up on um, a platform in the you know with equivalents to say writing and and speaking and all those kinds of things so when we start to kind of tap into that we start to see um or start, uh, uh, allow for a very different much more expanded um space for what what we might consider even intelligence um and then you know the other side of it there's a lot of research around how even that notion actually shapes um, how our brain communicates. So the kinds of, you know, the, the thought around what, what thinking is um, shapes how we think. Um, so if we think that certain kind of thinking or certain kind of information is more important than others, 
there will be parts of regions of our brain that will be more active than other regions of our brain. So the thing that I think is really interesting about neuroscience, I wouldn't call myself a neuroscientist, I would love to be, in, <laughs> um, but um, I read a lot of neuroscience and I find it deeply fascinating. And I think one of the things that's super interesting is that we've, we've got this sort of mapping technology now where we can see the regions of the brain that are kind of sparking up and we can see how they're communicating. So... Um, the role of the senses, the role of memory and the role of the nonverbal um, are, are becoming increasingly um, recognised as super significant in how we evaluate any particular circumstance. So we can have all the logic in the world, but if we've got a, an emotion running in behind that that is overpowering, that, that's going to shape the situation. So it, it opens up the space for emotion, um, what I would call embodied embodied intelligence. So things like these are some of my favourite examples. Are things like um, I meet you in a lift and um, I give you a warm cup of coffee, and then someone asks you later on, you know, how did you find Barbara? You'd you'd be likely to regard me as a warm person, but if I gave you a cold glass of water, you would evaluate me as much more sort of cold and clinical, and and probably sort of put me in that, those sort of you, you, the qualities, the temperature of actually shape how we evaluate the circumstances, but we would never actually make that logical connection um, in terms of how we, we think that we made that connection. So this, to me, this is just amazing sort of stuff in terms of how it opens up um, what's possible. And there's a whole bunch of stuff to sort of link to kind of hemisphere biases um, I could go into that. Mm. Um, I don't know how yes. much you want me to go. How, how deep is, you want me to go? It is fascinating, <laughs> and some of, some of that. I mean, I I like to think of triggers as well. We talked earlier about being aware of what's prompted something, or if something's come up for us. That mm. that is mm. like intuition. Why am I thinking like that, or why am I drawn to that? Um, mm. And this whole idea of triggers, and you can be very conscious about. The triggers and one of the most powerful triggers I have is um, smell. The smell, yes. the smell of canola fields in full bloom, for me is a trigger. Now, in my honours year in chemistry, I worked on the active compound of canola oil, and it has right. that—that's the odour that comes. Yeah, right. and and the moment I smell that I sometimes I can smell it even before I see the canola field um, and yep. obviously when I see a canola field it triggers the smell uh, it triggers the trigger already I don't necessarily need to smell it um, but that's association but the smell if I if I have that smell I'm immediately transported and in my mind I can see my lab bench in front of me I can see my desk where I have my little office that I had there in that honors year and and all of a sudden, I'm I'm seeing all the flask and things because I used to love building these complex setups. And I can see all of that, <laughs> and I, I'm always fascinated by that because that that is such a powerful trigger. I've got other triggers, but that one and and it's kind of I'm always curious why that one in particular is such a a powerful one because that was an interesting time of my life, but not necessarily I would say the most. Mm. Um, impactful time of my life so one of the things that i'm hearing there there's there's probably lots of things that are making that an impactful time of life um but 
when you bring up smell, um, the nerve um, that is linked to um, smell is one of the only exposed nerves um, in our central nervous system and it has a direct line to the limbic system. So that's the part of the brain that's linked to emotion and memory. Uh, it's nonverbal. <clears throat> So it has a faster, more direct link. It's very difficult to override, whereas almost every other sense kind of goes through one or two, I guess you could say, relay stations. Not to say that they don't have um, direct links to the limbic system as well, but they often will have other networks, whereas the smell goes straight in and then it kind of goes out to kind of conscious um, processing. So anything that is linked to smell, is it's actually very difficult to reprogram that. You know, so things, food poisoning is another example if you've been through poison once, it's really difficult to kind of <laughs> revisit that. Um, so it's, smell is one of one of the most um, evocative of our senses. Um, but I, I also what I'm sort of picking up in that um, story you just told there is, um, you know, it, it was probably a time of life where you were very invested in what you were doing. Mm. You probably had space and time and there was probably also an open curiosity. So I would say that there was sort of um, probably multiple connections going on at the same time, but that um, almost like the anchor was linked to the, the scent of canola. Mm. So it, as soon as you kind of had that trigger, it's just taking you into this very kind of expansive spaces. And then, um, again, that kind of links to, I think, the brains, the mind state that we're in and, um, and how that kind of links to our memory. So it's to do with the timbre of our memory as well. Um, but when you're talking about that kind of stuff, that the notion of a trigger, I think that's also a really interesting space for thinking about creativity because triggers can be something that can kind of take us to an expansive space, but they can equally be something that actually causes us to kind of mm -hmm. go to our default um, kind of railway, railway tracks of thinking. So um, that's where having little tips and tricks create with creativity can help you to kind of see where you or start to recognize where your default lines are um, and then to kind of look at where there's possible new ways of making connection. So, you know, neurologically, they, they you know, you can do this in, they've done a lot of work in, in therapy um, where people who've had some kind of tra traumatic experience, so they, they literally kind of do this process of disassociating that, you know, mm -hmm parts of the brain don't want to make that connection because it, it ignites the, the trauma. trauma. Mm. Um, and so, um, but if you want to move past the trauma, you need to build lots of connections to kind of, um, move, you know, still let that trauma space be there, but for it to be dissipated. Um, and so there's lots of connectivity that needs to happen. So they call this kind of um, um neurological interconnection um, or integration. So it's it's not that you've kind of got a broken thing that you don't want to ever kind of make, make connections to, but you find these gentle ways to build the connections around. Um, and that that's obviously a trauma um, example, but it's the same with how we think about anything. Um, so if we've got a kind of very fixed way of thinking and how, you know, that, that can block us and blind us. And if we're wanting to innovate or we're wanting to do things differently, we need to start finding these new connections so how can we kind of tease our imaginations into action and that's that's where I think those creative um, little exercises can be really really good at um, stimulating that and I think one of the easiest ways to do that is to play with your senses so I've you know 
like things like going, okay, I'm going to have a date with a color today. Um, and I'm just going to notice blue. And if you, if you say you're going to go and notice blue, you will mm. notice blue. <laughs> and then, you know, you can do the next day. You can, you can say, I'm going to notice, um, yellow and, and, and just by tuning into that, you'll start to notice color a lot more. And then you'll start to see how it's used in the world and blah, 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 blah. And then that will kind of, um, slowly link back to whatever it is that may or may not be linked to the, to the trigger that you're, that you're working mm. in. Um, with, or you can actively bring it into that situation and start to look at that situation by using your senses. So what's the sound? What could the sound be? Um, what's the colour? What's the temperature? Um, what could the movement be? And you can play with it in lots of different ways and then you start to slowly mm. see the situation from multiple perspectives. <clears throat> yeah, I love that. That's uh, the classic... Um reticular activation system right it's uh, there's all this blue stuff if i've chosen blue there's all this blue stuff that i've never noticed before all of a sudden it's popping up everywhere but it was always there i just didn't pay attention um, so when yeah. you when you buy a new car um all of a sudden those that type of car is turning up everywhere <laughs> how come there's all these yeah. cars suddenly <laughs> popping up just because i've bought a new one but it's because we're now noticing them not because they suddenly have appeared and weren't there before yeah so that that, that is that that is the wonderful thing about creativity because it's there is so much you can mm. kind of never it's never ending in terms of what you notice and I, again i just think the the senses are such a simple way to start kind of see noticing those things you could, even if you could just if you step into sound you go okay i'm going to notice rhythmic rhythmic sounds today mm. and then i'm going to notice sounds that are close and far the world just suddenly opens up yeah. and you suddenly hear the machines and you, and there's just so many different realms of possibility. And I would say what you're doing in that, if you kind of go back to neuroscience, is what you, you're inviting in is the right hemisphere's um, sensibility. So if you, you, I don't like to kind of use the, the binary of the hemispheres because they don't kind of work in an on-off way. They're constantly working together. Um, and one of the... Um, people that's helped me sort of understand it the most is um, um, I call him a polymath. His name's um, Ian McGilchrist and he's a neuroscientist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a historian, a philosopher. Um, he's an art historian. He, he just, and a poet. He knows, he, he thinks expansively. Um, but because he's been a, a, a psychiatrist, he's looked at um, all kinds of different conditions in which the brain works and doesn't work. And the way that he describes the, the differences between the hemispheres is that they're sort of like have a different timbre. So they're sort of, they're like both part, both are very important in the orchestra of how we come together and how we operate in the world, but they have different kinds of orientations. Um, and the right hemisphere tends to be um, more connected to um, bodily information. Um, and it also is um, nonverbal. So if we um, and and it also tends to look at the wider context. It's it's um, or it's timbre is to look at the at the broader situation rather than thinking about doing and getting and kind of um, ordering and sequencing. So if we have this mode of um, being in the world that helps us to kind of notice, or you know these little tips and tricks. So things like okay, I'm going to notice sound today, and I'm going to notice. Um, the sounds that are immediate and rhythmic and the sounds that are in a distance, 
even, you know, just giving that 30 seconds every hour is going to change how you notice things and what you're intentionally doing is inviting the right hemisphere to just notice the context and then you're creating this kind of dialogue between noticing and doing and we, we tend to be if anything in a world that is very subsumed with doing and activity um, and getting so if anything, we probably need to give the right hemisphere a bit more of a, of a breathing space. Yes, um, my, my business coach loves to say that we're a, we're not a human doing, we're a human being, so take time to be. <laughs> That's lovely, I love that, yeah. yeah. All right, well, and, um, you've reminded me, I mean, I often apply this in my photography when I, um, for example, um, if I'm walking through, a familiar city and I say well what am I going to photograph today and I might say well I'm just going to photograph doors today or or door handles and then all of a sudden wow there's thousands of really interesting door handles that I've never seen before <laughs> and all of a sudden I have all these wonderful photos <laughs> yeah it's it's exactly that kind of thing and in you know, a photography is a wonderful wonderful example because you, there's so many possibilities you can you can focus on even just things like shadow and light um or direction you can say i'm going to look at all things directional all, all lines today and um you know there's some fantastic photo photographs that just do that and or just going I'm, I'm going to do it in black and white today so i'm only going to look at grayscale um and and again once you start doing that you 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 might work with that for a week or a day or whatever but it means that when you are walking in between it maybe that's not your you know where you're focusing your attention you'll still notice those things yeah. um and again that's where it kind of that percolation and what i call metabolism happens and that's that stuff that just sort of leads to those either there's light bulb aha moments or those just gentle like oh what if we did that what if we did that what if we bring those together and it's that that noticing that culminates in you know the arising of an idea that is that is new or un, has been unseen or unnoticed before hmm. love it all right well it's fascinating i mean we could go on talking neuroscience for ages we can go on talking photo photography in particular because <laughs> yeah. i know you're a, <laughs> sure. a photographer as well and um i it is a good point though i think now to move on to the buzz which is the same five questions i ask of every guest our innovation round and i'm sure there are a lot of the themes that we've talked about here will come up again with some practical tips so you ready yes sure so what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative number one thing anyone needs to be more innovative i think it's really have a commitment to practicing an attention that prioritizes creativity um, and it will naturally lead to innovation. Mm. Which is sort of what we've been talking about a lot today, is that cultivating yeah. that attention. Mm. I, I guess the other thing that I would add in there is that um, it's easy to think of that attention as being something that is a personal thing, and I do think it is a personal thing, but I also think um, innovation and creativity involves others and there is a space in between mm. and a space of connection that is very much about that beingness together. Um, so it's, um, I, I wouldn't want to forget that we do this as a collaborative yeah, yeah. thing more often than not. Well, a yeah. lot of ideas often come up in conversation with others, right? There's sort of a yes. that, that connection that you get through the conversation all of a sudden, oh, even today, you've reminded me of some things, and I've sort of come up. 
and I wouldn't have thought of those today had I been on my own. And that, and that's actually another thing that we like to champion in in, well, in the, the space that I work in is is play and the power of conversation and not not kind of treating any conversation as incidental but as you know dynamic creative um, potential. Mm. Love it. All right. What's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Hmm. Well, I. This is this is not a, a. It was a process and and a commitment and 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 it has led to many. So um, it's it's probably going to seem unusual. <laughs> um, but uh, when I uh, years ago when I um, started university, I did an architecture degree. And I started learning. I, I learned two things. I learned. I, I was asked an, a question of what is design, <laughs> which was a fairly yeah, a broad question, um, yeah. and yeah, big question. And it really made me think about what is design and what is the, what is it to make anything as a human. Um, and then alongside of that, I was doing my architecture degree. Had um, uh, the uh, the undergrad component was environmental design. So I really started to learn about. Um, what it meant to kind of consider sustainability. Short answer is I decided that I didn't want to complete architecture, but I wanted to build a house. And I um, designed a house with the, the, the fairly elementary but sufficient skills to, um, you know, do the drawings and, you know, the engineering and so on. Um, and I, um, I saved up and I bought a block of land in the Blue Mountains and I built a rammed earth house. And uh, that Randworth house took two years to build. It was mostly built by hand. But um, the process of actually building and making and doing has was the greatest teacher of my life. Um, and, it, you know, I was, I've been to uni and I've done lots of different things, but the being and the doing um, has um, shaped me forever. Mm. Um, and, and it, you know, I'm not doing those kinds of things now and I can work in very different situations and contexts, but I think that that deep commitment to investment in the process um, and, and the, the physicality of it alongside this, the, the thinking and the curiosity um, has shaped a sensibility that means that wherever I go, that um, kind of open inquiry um, and alertness to the moment is, is always there and I think that that shapes I don't know. I think that that's an interesting yeah. thing to do, but I think it's shaped me profoundly. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And are you still living in that house? No, no, no I'm not. <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, the, the tricky thing when you, you make things and do things is to decide whether it's useful to let them go. Yeah. And, and oftentimes I do find that it, the letting go is actually releases you into a new space of possibility. Mm. So, no, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, that, 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 might have been a difficult one to let go, I imagine. It just sort of would have been an emotional connection to it. Yeah, it, it was. Um, but I'm. But I think the thing is that the learning that I've carried with it, and the you know the constant reminder of the insights that mm. I've um, gained through that process, and how that has led to so many other things, um, has um, meant that it. I haven't let go of it. It's just become something different. Yeah. All right. Um, do you have a favourite resource you use most often? Mm. Yeah, I do. I love paint. I'm not a painter. I don't consider myself a painter. But I love um, painting with inks. Um, with inks? And inks, oh, yeah. Okay. 
and um, it's you know I like drawing and I like painting and but I very I it's not the medium that I would say that I work in or even show but the um, so for for instance just I, what I do at the moment anyway is I make a puddle of water and then I just let the ink float into the water and it makes its own patterns and there's something that happens with um, that it's almost like watching a chemical reaction um, and just it's almost like watching nature at play mm. um, and there's something very kind of relaxing about the process and expanding so I will often do that um, especially on a day where I've been very kind of busy and scheduled or there's a lot of information coming in it's almost like a sort of antidote mm. um, and um, it, it, you know you, you hear people talking about like going for walks and and you know how your aha moments happen in the showers um for me it's it's um making sure that i have little things like simple things like that um because it kind of i feel like it's actually helping me to cultivate that creative sensibility and then there's a whole bunch of other things that i do alongside of that but that that is something it's, it's linked to color it's linked to um the qualities of a liquid mm. um and, and movement and how that kind of links with the real world yeah. um, from the day-to-day moment. Yeah, it. it's, it's, um, it's kind of a self-made, I, I don't know what these things are called, but they're like um, spheres or inside a container where you've got um, oil and water with various colours yeah. and you shake them up and then it, it randomly re configures itself in some sort of form and then you can sort of get all sorts of different um, images come up yeah yeah and and i get that it's, it's exactly that and it's interesting that you talk about oil and water because one of the um my photographic practices is to um take photographs of oil and water um and so i color oil and water and, and it's it, it's almost like looking at under a microscope or at a kind of you know a, a uh, at a cosmic level there's sort of these um, interactions of scale and um, for me I find that really creatively stimulating and it kind of constantly makes me think about what's what's possible and the, and the spaces in between and I think as we sort of navigate these challenges about how do we live as global citizens how do we work with the science that we have in front of us which is linked to complexity um, for, for me though those kind of almost molecular um, possibilities somehow kind of keep me thinking and connecting. So I'm looking out there right now and I'm looking at a tree and it's not like that. But I know if I was to dive into those that tree, um, I'd start to see amazing molecular patterns and, and processes. And I just like to remember that that's sort of happening mm. in between. <laughs> All right. Um so what's the best way, if you're working on a project, for example, what's the best way to keep people on track, particularly in this creative space where the idea, obviously, is to kind of go and explore different things and bring new ideas in, but how do you keep people focused on where's the outcome that we're trying to achieve? Yeah, so I think that's um, really interesting because I think if people own it, um, if there's there's an emotional charge where you have a, that's a sort of you're motivated 
um, and, and you've made a discovery and you want to bring that discovery into being, then um, that's where you have this um, commitment to action and wanting to bring it into being. But if you don't have that in the team or, or in, in the space, I think it becomes um, harder to, to kind of keep the focus, the focus going. And so some of the best teams that I've been in is when everyone somehow, even from their, you know, from their, all, all their just sort of different perspectives, has this kind of energy and commitment. And, and quite possibly I think it's also um, linked to the process that comes before wanting to ground something. There's been an exploration and a process of discovery that is shared and everyone has some kind of um, buy-in, um, you know, at, at a kind of, um, at an emotional level. And we, even when I say emotional, that, that can be very different for yeah. different people. But there's something there that is driving everyone to kind of bring that thing into being. And I've seen that in filmmaking. I've seen it um, in teams where you want to, um, you've, got, you've got a deadline, um, whatever it is that you're trying to bring, bring into action is, time kind of disappears and there's there's a kind of funneling into kind of this is going to we're going to make this happen mm, love it so, yeah. i think that's really important mm, great all right well um yeah the final question in the buzz round is what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves differentiate themselves number one thing to differentiate yourself this is probably going to see sound like a paradox <laughs> but um i think um we are all different from each other um, and seeing, um, understanding ourselves as distinctions um, that are part of a kind of a living ecology, um, a living diversified spectrum helps us to see how we are in relationship to others. So it's, it's a process of connection at the same time as a process of understanding what your, what your offer offer is or what your role is and I think that that can change from context to context as well so what you might have to offer in one context might change but I guess this is sort of talking about innovation and how do you kind of um, help to bring to light that that point of distinction um, and I think that that's where um, again the kind of creative process really helps you to kind of harness what it is that sparks you um, and when you know what it is that sparks you, then you know how you fit into mm. the sparks around you. Yep. And I know and that sounds all very abstract, but I think it, yeah. I think it matters. Well, it touches on a couple of points that you also made earlier about the conversations and the connections with other people that are part of that creative process, but then being really attentive to what, what is unique about me in terms of what I bring into this group and how can I connect that to others who are also bringing in their unique perspectives and then together we create something much bigger yeah I, it's it's like you know I, I like to go to the arts for these sort of circumstances but you know if you think about how a band works you know every every band member is playing a different instrument mm. you know and I, there's all these sort of cliches around how you know, drummers have particular personas and guitarists and front singers and yes everyone does have a different persona and they do they they what they know and how they know what to do, what they do is very different. But it's the coming together yeah. and the understanding and the giving giving of space to to um, work together that is that is actually part of the, the process. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks, Barbara. This has been fabulous. Now, where can people find out more about you? And, and I know you've got a new book, so it's a good point to mention mm -hmm. that now. And also, how can they get in touch to maybe even say thanks for what you shared today? Sure. Um, probably the easiest way to get in touch with me is um, via my UTS email. So I'm at the University of Technology in Sydney. Um, and if you just Google Barbara Doran and University of Sydney, uh, University of Technology Sydney, you'll find me. And there's an email there. That's the easiest way. Or you can um, Google Dr. VD, which is my kind of creative place based name. And I have a website linked to creative intelligence and you can contact me via that email as well. Um, or you can look up my book. <laughs> I'll do a plug, um, which is called Creative Reboot and it's, um, catalyzing creative intelligence. And it's a little kind of toolkit, if you like, um, that helps us do all those things that, um, I've been talking about today, that kind of process of tapping into that attention and kind of honing that attention. So it's, it's what I call a kind of recipe book with lots of different ideas um, and little exercises. So you can pick up a card as well and go, what am I going to focus on today? This is what I'm going to focus on. Um, and it, and then you can kind of play with it. So it prompts you. But so if you wanted to find out more about me, you could also, um, Google the book and, um, there's, it's, um, on this publishers, but also there's a number of other, um, distributors, um, that have the book in stock and you can find out more about me that way too. Excellent. All right. And we'll, we'll post those links in the show notes and certainly the link to the book so people can, um, easily find it. Now, Barbara, what action would you like our listener to take away from our conversation today? My provocation to anyone who wants to harness their creativity is um, decide, commit to noticing the world anew and set yourself your own little challenge every day yeah. to do something that um, causes you just to take a beat and to notice something that you would not normally spend time noticing. And if you want to go further, not only notice, but do something that is connected to that. And I promise you, new things will come to the mm. surface. <laughs> Excellent. So an example of that would be to pick a colour, for example, and just pay attention to that. And as I imagine that as you do those exercises, you'll get more creative about the exercise itself and start to discover different yeah, things. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the, 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 the exercises are kind of designed. So if you're one of those people who says, I'm not creative, it's kind of, you know, almost like a step-by-step -step process of like, here's, here's how to start, here's how to keep going. But then when you start, the more you do it, the quicker, more adept you'll get. And then there's ways that you can actually play with it as a game, which is another thing we talked about where you can put things together and you can kind of go, okay, I'm going to get a pink card and I'm going to get another, another card, like a green card, and I'm going to randomly put them together. And then I'm going to force these two together and see what I can yeah. come up with. And then you, then later on, you don't even need it because you'll be, well and truly able to kind of do, you know, come up with things. But I, these sort of things, I work with people who are, you know, um, work in film and art and theatre who you would say are really accomplished creatives in the in the kind of conventional term and they will still go back to these kind of things often when they're just starting. <clears throat> so it's not like we, we don't need them. We often need our imaginations, you know, jogged if you like. So, um, yes, but I, the more you practice it, the more, more you'll get there. Great. All right. Well, 
Finally, who else should I get on this show and why, Barbara? Who else should you get on this show? Well, you know what? I, I don't know how, 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 um, how you know, what, what, what's possible, but I would definitely say someone like Emma Gilchrist would be wonderful if you could get yeah. him on because he's amazing in terms of the creative space. Um, and actually, I would recommend Case Doss, who I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a, a, a designer and innovator and um, has inspired all kinds of people to work in really complex challenges. He's um, He does a lot of work in the Netherlands, um, and but he's also worked widely in Australia. He works um, with the UN on um, sustainability challenges, but he's um, very much about um, how do we um, spark our creative intelligence so that we can work with these um complex challenges in front of us. I find him deeply inspiring mm. and he has done lots of things um, okay. in the innovation space. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get an introduction to Case and to Ian as well and see whether we can bring them on the show. Yeah, that would be mm. magic. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Barbara, for our conversation today and for sharing your insights and um, your ideas with us so generously i've i've really enjoyed our conversation and i'm sure there's lots to learn for our listener so thanks again and please do stay in touch certainly will and thank you so much for having me again it's been wonderful i really appreciate it thanks <laughs> love, love to hear from everyone else okay cheers thank you I hope you enjoyed that really engaging and informative conversation with Barbara and took something away from her episode. Today's action, commit to notice the world anew. Challenge yourself every day to do something that causes you just to notice something that you wouldn't normally spend time noticing. Maybe it's Everything yellow, the yellow flowers, the sunflowers, the sun, the yellow colours on the doors. Something that you wouldn't normally notice and focus on one thing. But most importantly, turn that into action. Do something that's connected to that. You'll be surprised at what that opens up and what creative sparks that might initiate. Barbara's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Barbara Doran. That is B-A-R-B-A-R-A-D-O-R-A-N. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Barbara Doran. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Barbara, as well as links to her website, her book, Creative Reboot, her social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. Now, it's wonderful that you're still listening to the episode, and I'm sure you've loved this conversation. Now, if you think this would be useful for another person, then take the initiative, share it with that one other person. They'll be so grateful that you did that. Also, make sure to get the episode bookmark at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For the cost of just a cup of coffee, you can have your very own permanent record of this show. 
Barbara suggested that we have a conversation with psychiatrist and neuroscience researcher Dr. Ian McGilchrist and with Keith Dorst, Professor of Transdisciplinary Innovation at the University of Technology in Sydney on future InnovaBuzz podcast episodes. So Ian and Keith, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Dr. Barbara Doran. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Now remember to to go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel to collect your unique digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community, where you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests, as well as to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.